is the Rebel Author Podcast, where we talk about books, business, and occasionally bad words. Hello, Rebels, and welcome to episode 136 of the Rebel Author Podcast. Today, I'm talking to Donna Barker all about how to push through your first draft. But first to last week's question, which was, how is your year going? Is it as productive as you wanted? So Kerry Hardisky said, my year uh, has been okay so far, making progress, not as fast as I'd like. I've had the attention span of a sugared up toddler. (laughs) I know exactly what that is like. I'm still on track though to do what I want this summer, which is awesome. Rob Hewitt says, about as productive as I'd planned, even if those plans did change slightly. Currently going through the senses edit of the reader magnet and replotted the five book series. Taken tracking output more seriously with a spreadsheet so that I can structure the production for the rest of the year and designed about 30 covers for the pre-made ebook cover business to be launched this year. And to top it off, I actually took the five Final leap. I got a new part-time job which gets out of the cesspit of misery aka the current employer so I can spend more time on what makes me happy creating. That is fucking awesome. I am so so pleased and so glad to hear that um, you basically gave the middle finger <laughs> to the cesspit job uh, Yeah, and that you are now part-time and part-time doing what makes you happy so that's fantastic news. This week's question is is a little different. I want to know, who would you like to see on the show and what topics would you like covered? So I am going to take a little bit of time off in the summer, um, probably about three weeks, I think. And um, I would like to be scheduled as much as possible, as far out as possible, so that um, I have uh, at least, if if not the episodes all scheduled, obviously, because I give a weekly update, I would like to have the episodes recorded and in the bank. I do have a few weeks always, sometimes I have a couple of months but I'm a little bit low now and yeah because I know I've got this summer coming up and I am going to have almost a month off uh, or kind of almost a month off uh, I would like to just make sure that I have a lot of episodes in the bank so yeah if you have a guest suggestion please do uh, either drop me a DM on Instagram um, or yeah that's probably the best way actually drop me a dm on instagram or pop it in the comments as like an additional uh, comment either on instagram or or in the facebook group okay the book recommendation of the week this week is gallant by ve schwab i haven't quite finished uh, this book but i am thoroughly thoroughly enjoying it as i usually do you all know i love ve schwab i think her writing and her prose and her lyrical Uh, style is just exquisite and Gallant is no different. This is a story about a young girl who is unable to speak and she sees ghosts and she's an orphan and then all of a sudden a uncle comes out of the works and she gets taken off to this uh, house mansion where um, there are two versions of the house and the story sort of unfolds there and what I really like is this unusual structure of the book so she there's a story within a story and that plays out through Olivia the protagonist reading a journal and you kind of get to see the journal and it's all illustrated and it is yeah I just I love the book so I'm recommending it um I haven't read the ending so I don't know what the ending is like but I'm sure knowing Schwab it will be a corker of an ending okay so in personal update uh this week I don't even know where this week has gone I have been working on the non-fiction book which is called the anatomy of a bestseller and I am very close to completing the first draft. It's going to be a shorter book, a bit more in the region of uh, 13 Steps to Evil and 10 Steps to Hero. So around the sort of 40K, maybe just under 40K, maybe just over 40K. I'm sat at around 32 or 33,000 words uh, as we speak. And I have a handful of sections left to uh, to visit? Yes, I need to visit my sections. Uh, No, I have a handful of sections left to finish. 
and I was hoping to get it done this week but I have lost a couple of days so I'm thinking for sure it will be done by the end of next week. I say for sure <laughs> and then you know like the universe will throw some fucking massive blocker in my way but anyway I'm hoping, I'm really hopeful that I will be done in terms of a first draft by the end of next week if not the end of tomorrow, if I can really push. I don't know. I am really fucking tired. Like I, my wife decided to build a shed from scratch uh, on the weekend, last weekend. And uh, I usually stay out of these things. Like I am not practical. I am not handy in any way, shape or form. But uh, she was building it with our neighbor, who's also very handy. And together um, they have made what is a spectacular shed, I won't lie. And it sort of frees up the, the space in the garage for our gym. But that's irrelevant. The point I'm telling you is uh, I had to hold up the roof of the shed and fuck me, it was heavy and I've basically fucked my neck <laughs> and my shoulder, it's sort of spreading into my shoulder so I'm in quite a lot of pain and I've also worked like four nights back to back uh, with various different events and things so I'm tired, I'm in pain which is distorting my ability to be rational. <laughs> So I'm not feeling very rational today. It's also book launch day, which is, uh, you know, it is, it's it's fantastic. The series is complete. It's also very anticlimactic because I always find launches a bit anticlimactic, to be honest with you. You know, I just sit here and I'm still just continuing on with work. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. Like I, I'm, I, I think because I'm tired and I'm in pain, I'm not myself today. That said, um, I have you know, really smashed out quite a lot of words this week. So I'm really, really happy about that. And I'm excited about the anatomy of a bestseller. And I'm also excited about a plan <laughs> that I'm not going to tell you about, which I just probably shouldn't have mentioned it. But yeah, I've got an idea for a thing that I want to do uh, uh, that is kind of alongside the anatomy of a bestseller that I am incredibly excited about. And once I finish the book, I'm going to get to planning it. And so, yeah, I will be telling you all about that really soon. So what happens after I finish the book? Uh, I will just give it a quick once over and then I'm going to send it to my two uh, beta readers and then they will tell me if it's shit <laughs> or if it's okay and I can publish it. Uh, and then, and then yeah, I am probably not going to fuck about with that one. I'm just going to get it out. Like, I'm, it's done. It will go out. So yeah, like I am thinking I will try to launch this one relatively quickly. I'm not going to do like a massive hoo-ha over it. I'm just gonna, you know, put it up. We're gonna, I'm gonna talk about it. I will give you more information. I'm gonna, you know, maybe chuck some ads at it. But yeah, I think I, you know, usually do these big fanfare, massive amounts of content and I'm just so tired. I, I really need a break. And so I'm just gonna launch the book and we'll see what happens. Um. So yeah, but I am so excited for this one. And so yes, after that I am going to be working on another non-fiction book which I'm not ready to talk about. I am also going to be working on on this thing that is going to work alongside the anatomy of a bestseller and I am going to be drafting Scent. So Scent is the one that I'm drafting. The Scent of Death is the one that I'm uh, yeah drafting. The next non-fiction book I am like reading and inputting for and then I am creating this other thing alongside the anatomy of bestseller. So I've sort of got three different projects that I'll be working on but in they're in three different states and therefore th using three different areas of my brain if that makes sense so uh, yeah what else can I tell you I think that's it oh no I wanted to say thank you I have had a lot of comments about last week's episode and they've been really positive and that really like I really appreciate that because those annual reviews always shit my pants a little bit before I post them because they are quite honest and they are quite truthful and that's a little bit scary <laughs> just to say all the stuff and lay it bare and you know I I do carry around like sh not shame I don't want to say shame I don't really feel shame about anything but I carry around fears around whether I'm good enough, whether the things that I'm saying are valid or helpful or useful. You know, what 
when I say those things, what do other people think of me? You know, and I can't, I can't help but feel that way. You know, uh, like a lot of the time I'm like, I don't give a fuck. (laughs) My self-assurance will be like, yeah, let's just do the next thing. But also there is like a little part of my ego that is quite fragile. So yeah, thank you for everybody who reached out and said that they appreciated the things that I'd said in the annual review episode. That meant a lot to me, so thank you. And I will continue to do those annual reviews. So I will do another one next April. Um, Okay, I think that's probably it from me. I don't have any wild announcements, really. Oh, uh, except if you are part of the uh, Patreon, if you're at the Rebel Readers group, then we will be doing uh, the movie night on the 11th of May. So that is coming up. The Rebel of the Week this week is Jackson Hollingsworth. Jackson said, I was always fascinated by language and words, even asking for a dictionary for Christmas when I was nine years old, which I got. Thank you, Mum. When I was about seven or eight years old, Don Bluth's Anastasia was out and in Rasputin's song he sings, Come my minions, fly for your master. I asked my mum what minions meant since the movie franchise wasn't a thing yet and she told me. The next day, my older sister was telling me to do something I didn't want to do. Probably something very sensible that my daydreamy self didn't feel like doing. I loudly procreated... I loudly proclaimed, I am not one of your minions, and turned round and walked regally away. My sister was just like, what? Meanwhile, my mum was in the kitchen, heard the whole exchange, and apparently was cracking up. <laughs> I love that. So I, I literally love that so much. At the moment, my son is funnily enough, eight and a half years old. So he's rocking up towards nine. And he is doing things just like this right now so he'll hear like a really unusual cool word and then he'll like randomly drop it into conversation and sometimes it's an absolute blinder of a use and other times it's just like wait what <laughs> so and like oh it's just oh bless bless his little soul I tell you I love this story so much I, this must be a thing for like eight nine year olds um but yeah I love it I love that so much If you would like to be a Rebel of the Week, then please do send in your story. Like, honestly, we are always in need of stories. So please, if you have a story, uh, if you've been thinking about sending one for a long time, now is the time, people, now is the time. Uh, It can be anything. It can be a big rebellion, a small rebellion. It could be a pets rebellion. It can be anything. Just email your Rebel story to Becca on rebelauthorpodcast at gmail.com. Welcome and a huge thank you to Darren Blake, Rebecca Adams and Kimberly Grimes. All new patrons and I deeply, deeply appreciate you. You should have had, uh, depending on what levels you're on, you should have had information uh, sent to you about joining the Slack group. And uh, yeah, don't forget to dig through the archives in Patreon as well and uh, join the the patron Poison and Pros, which we have once a month. And... um, Yeah, so thank you so much. And of course, a whopping thank you to all of my existing patrons. I really do love you guys. You're amazing. I adore the community. The Slack group is fantastic. We had a Poison and Prose last night and it was just so full of love and support and like creative understanding and solidarity. And it just fills my cold dead heart. So thank you guys for ruining my reputation and chipping all of the coal off of my soul. If you would like to be a patron and get all of the... all today is difficult to speak and get early access to all of the episodes as well as bonus content then you can from as little as two dollars a month by visiting patreon.com forward slash sasha black this week's episode is sponsored by pro writing aid but rather than me tell you why i think pro writing aid is awesome and by the way i really fucking do i'm going to let S.W. Miller tell you why he thinks Pro Writing Aid is awesome. S.W. Miller is a book coach and he is also the author of the urban fantasy series uh, Myth and Magic and there are four books, I think there are two books published and a novelette and the fourth book is on pre-order and the first one is called The Witch's Revenge, an urban fantasy thriller. So if you like urban fantasy then I highly recommend you go and check it out and I will make sure there is a link in the show notes. So over to S.W. Miller. I use ProWritingAid to clean up my manuscripts before they go to my editor. 
ProWritingAid's great because it's not just a grammar checker. It teaches you how to improve your writing. It has reports for all those tricky areas authors hate, like style, passive voice, glue words, my own arch nemesis, cliches, and more. I've got high competition in my top five Clifton strengths, so the scoring feature really pushes me to improve my writing, because, of course, I want to beat the system. For me, the best thing is the way it integrates with Scrivener. I make all my changes in ProWritingAid, and Scrivener updates automatically, so no more hopping between programs, which is perfect. I'd highly recommend using ProWritingAid. Right, that's it from me, let's get on with the episode. Hello and welcome to the Rebel Author Podcast. Today I am joined by Donna Barker. Donna is a career technical ghostwriter and workshop presenter. At age 40, she decided she'd like to be a published author, and after 10 years of arguing with her inner critic, oh, we have so much in common, oh. she <laughs> achieved that goal two weeks before turning 50. Oh my God, what a celebration. Donna has written and published seven romance books, two nonfiction titles, and two coloring books in the last three years. Whoa. Now she works with other writers to pick up the pace on their own paths to publication and to finish the books they've been thinking, dreaming and talking about for years. Hello and welcome. Hello, Sasha. Hi. <laughs> Hello. Thank you so much for joining oh, me. I'm... So I know we've had your bio, but would you tell me a little bit more like about your journey? How did you get to where you are today? All right. Well, it was a rather, it was a pretty circuitous route, I guess. Um, I never thought that I was going to be an author. I, I mean, an author under my own name would been, was horrifying, the idea of it, because I was a ghostwriter. I made my living not being known, not being seen. And um, it was, it was, it was my, a failed marriage that led me to start writing creatively. My, my, my husband had an affair and I was pretty angry about it and I started writing and I wrote this book called Drinking Scotch with Strangers. I wrote a manuscript, 120,000 horrible words, right? Like <laughs> horrible in every sense. Uh, and I, but I got a developmental editor and she said, the first thing she said was, you know, cut 20,000 words. This is too bloated. And I did. And then she said, cut another 20,000 words. And I'm like, holy cow. Okay. So I got it down and worked with her for several months. And then she finally said like, I don't understand what this story is. And I, and I realized at the end of all that work and all that money, what it was, was it was me exploring what it was to be a writer, finding my voice, and also, you know, getting rid of the demons of like drinking. So it was about my year after my husband left and, and how insane I went. I was 40 years old and I kind of lost my shit. <laughs> so I got to be 23 again is what happened. I mean, and that kind of sounds fun, but it, it, it being was, 23, but <laughs> yeah, you know, there were, there were good moments in there. So anyway, that's, that's what I did. Um, and I worked, I kind of, I, I set that, I, I set it aside for a while and then I picked it up again and I started rewriting it. You know, have you heard the saying to write from the scar, not the wound? I have not, but okay. I don't know who said it, but it's, I was writing my first book from the wound. It was gooey and oozy and bloody and, and it was just too, it was personal, but it was fiction, but it wasn't. Uh, so once I had healed, I started writing again, again, fiction, dark humor, like you, I love dark humor. And I wrote a book called Drinking Scott. No, that, that was, that was, drinking. I wrote uh, Mother Teresa's Advice for Jilted Lovers. <laughs> and it's, it was just, uh, it was a, it's a paranormal, it's kind of, you know, girl, pal, um, I don't know, there's a little bit of romance in it. It didn't have a particular genre. It was about a serial, a psychic serial killer. And that was me. It was me again, right? So I put myself, like, if I had, if I had psychic powers, if I could embrace the secret and make things happen, every man on this freaking planet would be dead, right? <laughs> So I would kill them with my mind. So I wrote this dark humor um, and it was a fine book, a fine story, funny. Um, and I was terrified to release it. Absolutely petrified because it was personal, like most of our first books are, right? We write ourselves into those stories. And I thought people would hate me and they would judge me and they would see me. And I was horrified about that. 
And so, yeah, the two weeks before I turned 50, I literally gave myself a kick in the ass. And it was like, all right, like it was a milestone for me. I had quieted myself. I had stopped living who I was because of my marriage. And he, I was an embarrassment to him because I was so loud and brash and opinionated and blah, blah, blah. And I thought, okay, who am I if I am just me? And that book is who I am if I'm just me. I'm this dark humor, silly and all that. So I decided I am going to be brave. And I published two weeks before I turned 50 because I just thought, fuck it. Like, if you don't like me, you don't like me. I don't have to have everybody like me. I like me. And that's how I got to be published. And six years later, um, yeah, I'm, I've been, you know, active in the, in the author community and um, writing and writing and writing and writing. So, yeah. One of my favorite qu- quotes comes from Kurt Cobain. And he says, I'd rather be hated for who I am than loved for who I'm not. I and for a long that. time, I wanted to get that tattooed just because I'm like, oh, that literally encapsulates everything that I, f- that I feel about my life. Like I have been hated yeah. for who I am. Like, and I've been loved for who I'm not when I've like, you know, tried mm-hmm. to be something that I thought people wanted me to be. And like, I just, I have, I'm at peace now with like, if you don't like me, you can fuck yeah. off. Basically. Well, exactly. <laughs> no, exactly. That was kind of my motto in my twenties. I was a punk when, you know, like the whole <laughs> deal that, and uh, yeah. And anyway, it's, it's a, it's a good place to be. And I know, I know my only regret is that I waited till I was 50 to have that courage, you know, but, mm. but here I am. Okay. Well, maybe we're going to empower some listeners to have the courage to get through their first draft. So let's talk about writing a scrappy first draft, a, a rough first draft. Um, I think one of the most common barriers is our own personal bullshit. Mm. Like mm-hmm. we stand in our own way. I'm doing it right now. Like what advice would you give to someone suffering with doubt and like mindset issues and standing in their own way? Yeah. All right. Well, okay. First of all, I don't know if this is advice, but it's just a reality check. It is normal. So even best-selling, traditionally published authors who get big advances suffer with that doubt sorry I should probably um and like every new title is just another opportunity to convince ourselves that we're not really writers that our last book was a fluke and that our last five books were just beginner's luck right like I literally posted on Instagram the other day like I swear to god I get to the end of every book and I'm like I I look at the blank page and I'm like well I can't write this book I'm never gonna write another one am I, I? like every exactly. fucking time Okay. So last night, it was so funny. I don't, I don't go on Facebook very much, but last night I had insomnia. Okay. And honestly, I had insomnia because I was freaking out about talking to you today. Oh my God, stop. (laughs) I know, but that's just me, right? I'm like, okay. So I was looking, scrolling through Facebook and there's this author who I have worked with um, in one of her anthologies. Her name is Mandy Melanson, and she's a multi-USA Today bestselling author. She's published more books than she has fingers and toes. And last week, she released a book that hit number one in the Kindle store. And she posted on Facebook, and I'm quoting, imposter syndrome is strong today. Send Dr. Pepper and Cheez-Its. All right. So, and the the point here I want to make in terms of advice is she posted that. And within three hours, 25 people had cheered her on with encouragement. They reminded her of the things that she's accomplished because she was forgetting. Uh, they sent her cartoons of Dr. Pepper and a, a, a gif or a gif of uh, Jason Momoa, sexy Jason <laughs> Momoa, like, you know, and all of those things um, are good. Like that is your community. When you start freaking out, if you have that imposter syndrome, reach out to your community and your community will remind you that it is normal, right? And it's also, it's hard to be afraid when you're laughing. And if you can post something like that and laugh at yourself and let other people laugh at you or laugh with you, um, then that kind of pushes the fear to, to the side a little bit too. 
one of the things that I love doing is taking the piss out of myself because like I just think my whole life is comical like I I don't even know if other people think that my life is comical but the the shit and drama and and nonsense antics that happen I'm like well I'm laughing at this diabolical situation surely someone else is gonna find like the other day I was so fucking tired that I literally went to school to pick up my son it, like I have, I have um, leopard print shoes and I have them in two different colors. And instead of putting a matching pair on, I had a mismatching pair because like, I just, I pulled them out. They're in like under the stairs. So it's like a dark cupboard. So I just pulled the two trainers that felt the same and put them on and then was like, oh shit. When I was like halfway, just, I posted that everywhere. Cause I was like laughing my tits off by the time I actually realized. Yeah. But yeah, it's like, you do, you have to take, you have to laugh because otherwise what else are you going to do? You're just going to cry. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, and so I'm going to up on that though. It's like, so we all, all, all have that inner critic, right? And the inner critic is there and has probably been with you since you were a little kid and is there to protect you, right? And when I was, when I was going through the coaching of that first book, my coach said, um, when I was facing that doubt monster, she was saying things like, you know, just yell at it, tell it, you know, tell it to go away that you're in charge. And that didn't work for me. And it was a few years later that I met, I met and worked with another coach who actually is a therapist by training. And she said, you can't, you can't like kick your inner critic out because your inner critic is you, right? Like that's part of who you are. She is there to protect you. And she was, she's been with you for a long time. So you have to talk to her and acknowledge that you, you know, like when you're facing that fear, acknowledge that your inner critic is there. You are happy to have her and you don't need her help right now. Like just like say, say whatever it is that you need, like find out what she's worried about. Literally ask, okay, what am I worried about here? And your inner voice is gonna say things like, you know, I'm worried if you're writing memoir. I've seen this with tons of, well, every single person I've coached who's writing memoir. They get to a certain point, they write and they're doing, everything's going great. And they hit a point where it's like, I can't write this, what if, my mom reads it. What if my brother reads it? What if someone reads it and they're going to be hurt and they're going to be mad? And yeah, that could be true, but you're writing your first draft for you. Doesn't matter if you're writing fiction, doesn't matter if you're writing memoir, you're writing nonfiction, that first draft, just tell your inner critic, I'm writing this for me. I'm not going to share it with anybody. So you can go, go back, go back to sleep for now. And when I've done my first draft, I'll call you out again. You'll, you'll just come out on your own anyway. And then we can have another conversation. But for now, settle down. Just settle down. Yeah, I love that. I love the reminder uh, to like trust the story. Just, just get to the end. Like you do anything anything by any means possible to just get to the end. I, um, uh, I write in a very unusual way. I don't write linearly mm-hmm. um so I and and for I have fought that for so long and um it literally I think this morning or was it yesterday morning I don't remember I was having a conversation with someone and I was like you know I think that's how I write all my books like because I always thought that I wrote non-fiction different to fiction and I don't I don't write fiction uh-huh. in order and I don't write non-fiction in order and I it's like a puzzle piece and I just keep writing. And then when I get bored of that, I jump somewhere else to where I want to write. And everyone's always like, oh, but what what if you don't want to write that scene? Well, I do want to write all of them in the end, ultimately, because then I get to the end of the book. Like, so yeah. there aren't any scenes that I don't want to write because then I just wouldn't write and we'll put them in the book. But, um, you know, yeah. So like, it, it, and, and that is my by any means possible. Like I will just keep moving mm-hmm. in order to keep the momentum going. Um, I, I just keep going. The problem is when the other shit gets in the way, like, I don't know, you take a break or you, I don't know, other bullshit, you read a review and then you oh sink my into God. I know, right? Oh my God. <laughs> just don't read the fucking reviews. Don't read the reviews. <laughs> don't read the reviews. Don't read People them. are idiots. So like, people are idiots. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Any, okay. Um, so like what for you, what are the main principles or universal rules to just get to the end of a draft? All right. Um, so I think that these are principles that are true for all writers. Um, the first thing is like, never judge 
yourself or your first draft. Like, but I'm so just, good at that. I know, we're <laughs> so good at it. All right, just, I don't know. Okay, so here, here's one thing. And I say this, you know that I've written a book called Scrappy Rough Draft, right? So in the, the whole, the title Scrappy Rough Draft comes from, it's a play on Anne Lamott's shitty first draft. And how many authors have you heard refer to their first draft as a shitty first draft? I think possibly in a podcast, I might've even heard you say that. Probably. And my call to you and everybody is to stop referring to your books as shitty first drafts. And I came to this, I used to do the same thing. And I came to this when I was teaching a course and the course, there was a woman whose uh, language said English was her second language. And she said she was quitting my course when we came to the module on shitty first draft, right? When I, or when I was referring to shitty first draft, she said, it's, it's not shitty. And I was like, well, it's a figure of speech. And she said, but you're telling me that what I'm writing just belongs down the toilet. And it started me thinking, and I'm like, yeah, it, that is exactly what I'm saying. But no, it's not what I'm saying, but that's what our brains are hearing. So that's judgment. Like it might be just a throwaway word that you use, but so my first, first, I don't know, principle would be stop putting any judgment and referring to your first draft as a shitty first draft is judgment, whether you consciously know it or not. So that would be one thing. Um, you've also mentioned in your podcast, um, Seth Godin and 10,000 hours. It's he's the 10,000 hours guy, right? Or uh, is it Malcolm Gladwell. Malcolm Gladwell. Malcolm Gladwell. 10,000 hours. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, just think about all the things that like you're writing your first draft. Okay. It might not take you 10,000 hours, but acknowledge just because you can write, just because you can type, you're going to take a lot of hours to get those words. Okay. Again, that's judgment. Um, Another thing, this is another thing that seems to be really prevalent is people think about writing a book as writing, like typing, fingers on the keyboard. So they dismiss <sighs> all the time that they put into that you have to put into thinking about the story, floundering around while you're doing dishes, walking away from the story because you're pissed off with it. You're, what is this face you're making? <laughs> so it's agreement. It's an agreement face. And it's also like a frustration at myself face because I definitely feel like, you know, there's a difference between knowing a thing yeah. and like learning and like absorbing and knowing that thing. And like, I don't even know how many books I've written now, including like I've done a, like a ghost written one. I've got some that have been unpublished, stuff like that. I don't know. It's definitely over 15 books. And I still have not really learned this lesson. And it's like I fight myself. I don't give myself permission to do those things in the day because mm. it's not work. Yeah. And it's such bollocks. Like when I give myself that time during the day when I'm not tired... Mm -hmm. um I make so much more progress so uh much more quickly that's terrible English but hey COVID brain um and and it's only so this week no time is a lie last week was the first time I allowed myself to proofread a book during the day like I have never given myself permission to do that I've just expected myself to do that of an evening when I'm tired um and it and it took for me to get COVID. Yeah. Oh my God. To be put on my ass cheeks before I allowed myself to actually sit the fuck down and proof the book during the working day. Like, yeah. what is that about? Why do we do that to ourselves? Anyway, say, suffice to say, I have really learned this lesson this time. And um, I'll be back with you in a yeah, month, right? I know, I know, right? Yeah, she says it now. But um, no, like I am going to be giving myself the time to yeah. do like more plotting and outlining and actually like reading during my working day because I, I actually have an input process that is required for me to be able to write books. So yeah, yeah I love that one. Yeah. Yeah. So reading and watching great series on Netflix, like a Netflix binge of Bridgerton. If you do that, that if you write romance, that's that's writing your book because you're doing market research. You're learning about, oh, look at look at how the sex scenes are handled. It's so sexy and there's no sex. Like, like, how do they do that? So um, pre-writing this when you start thinking of your book, writing includes pre-writing and rewriting all of those things. Um, 
another one, set goals that you will meet. So our brains are buggers because if we set goals as anyone who has ever set, you know, New Year's, the New Year's Eve goal and then failed and then set it again and then failed, your brain starts, your brain will tell you, you've already tried that, you can't do it. So at a certain point, it's, it's, Gonna, it's it's going to screw you up before you even get started because you're going to know, I'm saying little quotation mark fingers, you're going to know that you're not going to make it. So if you set goals that you achieve or when you set goals that you actually achieve, you get this hit of dopamine, which feels <laughs> really good, right? So set tiny goals. There's this guy, Stanford University professor, researcher named um, BJ Fogg, and he's a proponent of tiny habits, like literally he wanted to start doing push-ups. <laughs> in, 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 in his book, he talks about um, every time he goes to the bathroom, he'll do one push-up. And he, he explains he doesn't do the push-up in the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's the trigger, right? Go to the bathroom, do a push-up. And uh, that's why we put the floss beside the, the toothpaste, right? Like you floss if it's right there. So when I'm working with authors who are stuck and they're like, they set goals, like authors are crazy for setting goals like, they'll have day jobs and they'll say, well, I want to get home from work and I've done the dishes and I'll put the kids to bed. I'm going to write for an hour. And then you find that you're exhausted and you don't write for an hour. And if you do that enough times, you're going to think you can't do it. What if you say, I'm going to open my manuscript and I'm going to look at it for one minute. And then you do that. And then you mark it on a calendar or you send a message to your accountability buddy and say, I looked at my manuscript. I'm going to write five words or 10 words, make them so ridiculous that you cannot fail. And you'll start to train your brain that you can do this. And then, and then you'll, you, you'll, it'll increase. I mean, you're not going to write a book in one minute a day, but that one minute will teach your brain that you can do this. And then it'll, it'll snowball. So that's another one. I love it. I love it. That is the mark of uh, somebody with very, uh, everyone's going to have to drink now because I'm going to start talking about <laughs> Clifton Strengths. <laughs> <Do but>, uh, <laughs> I've not done them, but I feel like it's a cult that I should be in. Like, you so need to come down the cult hole. Like, says that. <laughs> it is so good. Um, yeah, that is the mark of high consistency, by the way. Um, set a small enough goal that you can meet it every single day. It's like peak balcony consistency. I love it. And like the thing is as well, when you say to break it down that small, even me who has zero consistency is like, you know, even I could probably do that. <laughs> So, yeah well, like I'm terrible yeah. for just taking like the whole I'm like oh look there's the finish line right. 150 <laughs> miles down the road well let's go babies I know I know <laughs> well and you, you just make me think also of Stephen King I used to so I I was really a binge writer so I would I would write um for hours and hours and days in a row and then not write at all and Stephen King says I write every single day and okay I I, I know I'm, I'm really sound um I don't know dismissive of Stephen King's process it's a great process for him but when I first started writing like 15 10 how old am I yeah like 15 years ago when I first moved into this everyone was saying we all have to write like Stephen King well no we don't all have to write like Stephen King Stephen King writes like Stephen King and Nora Ephron writes like Stephen King which is like Nora Ephron but if you're the kind of person who only writes on weekends you make that commitment to yourself you don't have to do it every day you have to find what works for you so I think it was another, it's really horrible. I know in, in your book, I love your book, where you talk about rules and- Fuck the rules. Exactly, <laughs> fuck the rules. Fuck the rules. Like there are other people's rules. Yes. Like find your rules. I think that's really important with your first draft, especially if it's your first draft of your first book. But, you know, you've already said, Sasha, you've got this process and you have to keep recognizing that that's your process. That's your I process. I know. Yay. I just- I don't know what is wrong with me and like why I'm like I don't have a process except I've literally written every book in exactly the same, the right. same way like I just oh anyway I don't write an order either I don't write an order oh, um my I, queen I, I love, love that. I just it's just you know I write the pieces that come to, and and I leave sex scenes in in my romance the sex scenes all come at the end I anyway first drafts are full of holes and that's I save the sex scenes for when I like feel that I'm burning low and then I'm like, ah, now's the time. So I go write the sex scene and it like 
like I churn out the word, like I keep the momentum going, right? So yeah. it's like a strategic, I'm very tactical about when I write what. And I yeah. do I do it to keep the to keep going, essentially. That's exactly right. Except for me, it's I have to know my characters so well to know ah. how they're I'd have to know their because of my sex, they have to have their emotions, right? I don't know them well enough until I get to the end of the story. And then I can go back and I know what they're going to be thinking and feeling when they're having sex. But I don't know that when I first get to know them because they're still new to me. I love it. I love it. mm -hmm. Okay, let's talk about getting stuck. So let's say, you know, we've got a writer, they managed to get started and then they got stuck maybe they hit a wall maybe they got tired maybe they wrote themselves into a corner um how do you how do you get unstuck for me and I think well for me I will speak from the eye I go to my community I really do um sometimes a what if exercise will work so I've got a notebook and if I've written them my characters into a corner or my plot into a corner I'll just start writing, well, what if, what if she, you know, loses her shoe? What if he, um, a villain exposes a secret in this situation? And that can sometimes help. I throw away a lot of words when I get stuck. <laughs> Me too. Like I really do. I think that's something about not writing in order because I, I'm a chronic underwriter in my first draft, but by the time I get to the end, I've written so many additional scenes. I like, I've just finished a series, right? I have about 40,000 words. It's half a fucking book that yeah. I'm just chucking away because I can't use any of it. Well, like, every book I write, every book I write, I've got my, I use Scrivener and I have my deleted, my deleted <laughs> scenes. And I have a whole, so the one that I just finished, it's 75,000, I finished last week, the first draft of it, the scrappy rough draft. I have the folder with the, the deleted scenes. I have 10,000 words out of, and then 75,000 that I have. With the third book in my first romance series, um, it's called Third Party right now. Um, I rewrote the first third, like that, that first section of the story where they're falling in love and getting to know each other three full times. I threw away close to 90,000 words because I just, I wasn't, Anyway, and, and that's okay. I think like when you get stuck, understand that these are just words, nothing is precious, right? And every, I, I honestly believe that there are no wasted words. Every time I write something and then don't use it, I've gotten closer to understanding my characters, which I, that's how I got to know them. I, I wrote with them, I spent time with them, or I've improved my voice or some, there's, there's always a net benefit even when you're throwing away words. Like you don't, yeah. It's so funny that you talk about the beginning of that book. My That was the experience I had with my first ever book. So mm -hmm. I wrote the first draft of um, my first book in Nano. And I think I wrote like 52,000 words yeah. and I threw the whole lot away and just started again. Cause I was like, this is shit. Like the kernel of the story is in there. And mm -hmm. like, I, I loved the characters, like the characters didn't change, but um, I just couldn't write. I didn't know how to write that, you know, like all of the things that they tell you not to do, I'd done. Yeah. And I was like, this is not salvageable. I'm going to end up um, rewriting so much that I might as well just write again. So I wrote again. And I wrote the whole book. And I think that time it was like 80 odd. I don't quite remember. And I threw it away again. So mm. controversial. Um, but I did because at that point I was then like just inhaling craft books. Right. Right. <laughs> you know, the very typical writer journey. I was, I was, it was like, it, it was like cracked me. I was like sniffing and snorting and, and inhaling and, and reading and consuming and sleep dreaming and audiobooking and everything I could possibly get my hands on. And so by the time I got to the end of that draft, I like went back to the beginning and was like, ah, oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I had to throw the thing away again. The third time though, third time's the charm right mm -hmm. and that was the draft well not that draft but that was, but the, that book, was the book the book yeah. that went to publication yeah. yeah and um and so I just like it's always about giving yourself permission it is right yeah, so like exactly. 
I just so much of writing is about giving ourselves and, permission and no judgment again like don't judge it so you wrote 50,000 words and then you wrote 80,000 words congratulations you've written 130,000 words which means you're 130,000 words closer to being a better writer I know right? like <laughs> yay yay you yeah <laughs> exactly exactly what do you think are the most common mistakes that writers make uh, when approaching like trying to get through their first draft um, I think the most common is that we look at our first drafts and expect them to be something other than first drafts. So we expect them to be, you know, the, the movie version of what we're actually writing. I think that's a huge, huge problem. Um, yeah, we, because, because we, ha we don't see other people's first drafts. We don't see their struggles. So we don't know that every published book, every, every published book that we probably enjoyed has gone through iterations, right? So I think that's one thing. Um, do you know who Dorothy Parker is? Mm. She was a it's fine. She's an she was an American journalist and poet, and she was a rebel. She was like a kick-ass rebel back in the early 1900s. I already like and her. yeah, no, she was fat. <laughs> I, I first met I first met her when I read one of her poems. Uh, which I still remember like 30 years later, which I will tell you now because it's so fabulous. Um, I love a good martini, just one or two at most. With three, I'm under the table. With four, I'm under the host. <laughs> oh my God. Anyway, I, I love her. So um, Dorothy Parker, way back like 100 years ago, said that she would write a book three, at least three times. She would write it first to understand her story, She'd write it a second time to improve the prose. And the third time she'd write it to compel it to say what she wanted it to say. So I don't know if that's a, a mistake. I guess it's the, like, it's the flip side of the mistake. The mistake is that we don't appreciate as new writers that we're gonna write our story several times. So the first draft is just get the, get the bones down. You know, people make the analogy of working with clay and stuff, um, but that's, that is, um, yeah, that's a mistake is thinking it should be something other than what it actually is. It's so ridiculous because I definitely do basically everything that we've talked about so far. <laughs> well, the things we all do, but you don't get stuck at it anymore, right? I mean, you, you, presumably your stuckness gets shorter and shorter. I think so. Yeah. Or, or different things make me come unstuck. So um, like if I try something new, so the book that I'm working on now, at the moment, I feel stuck because I have heard, you know, eminent people say things about the genre and about what the endings should and shouldn't be like. Mm -hmm. And so the ending that I've planned, I originally... I, I now I've ground to a halt because I'm like, oh, maybe I should change the ending because it's mm. not going to be to market enough and I want it to sell. And, you yeah. know, so like it's more things like I could sit down and just write the book, but there are there are other things that make me stuck now. So like another one is if I don't know the characters well enough, yeah. like if I don't have the voice yeah. and some of that is about writing and some of that is about the pre-work because I have to know what the seed is of the character, like what is the resounding. So like, for example, I'm outlining two different series at the moment. And I'm more drawn to one because I know the, mm. the kernel of the two mm -hmm. main characters, even though the other one I think might be more popular, but because I know like the, what the banterous relationship is good. Like basically they are complete opposites, you know, one's highly disciplined, one's really adaptable, you know, like, because I can, I know that I know, know the characters I know yeah how to write the story even if I don't know what the, all of the story points are yeah so yeah like there's different things but you uh, those I have learned those things over time like knowing what I need before I approach the page um and then it's like trying to close my ears to what other people are saying and not listening just before I get to the end of the first draft right because I could mm -hmm. just write the fucking book and write the ending that I want and if the ending's not right I can change it but um 
also I can't yeah. because it's quite fundamental to then the voice and who's yeah. narrating but anyway that's not the point like I just basically I need to stop listening to other people yeah. so it's it's things like that yeah. you learn like other things get me stuck I think yeah well and this is an interesting thing so I, I do lead a mastermind every week um, and the authors in there vary from working on their first book to like bestsellers and they all come just to support each other and even the bestsellers show up and are, have these same issues and there's this there's a as we write, the more we write, we grow and we learn and we have higher expectations of ourselves. So I, you know, I hit that same, I hit the wall as well, because now my expectation, like with my first book, I didn't take into account visceral reactions and responses as much as I do now. I did like there, I have higher expectations of myself. And sometimes that stops me with my first draft because I too forget. It's like, well, I'm writing so stiffly right now, but but yeah, I know that once I go through the first round of revisions, it'll make a, a difference, and then the second and the third, and yeah, yeah. the ten millionth, and yeah, the exactly. ten millionth, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, okay, let's talk to the plotters and the panzers and that age-old debate. Like, is there different advice to help each of them get through a first draft, or is it the same advice? I don't, you know, I I don't know I would so here's when I when my thinking on plotters and panthers I'm a pantser like so like you I'm, I'm kind of I don't know if I'm just like you um I can't start a book until I know my characters and so I use um the Angela Ackerman's thesaurus like the wound thesaurus and you know the negative and positive traits thesauruses thesauri um and I spend a lot of time on those that is how I figure out my story what and I, I have always felt like, and it, it's, it's comes down to a language thing. If we think about ourselves as plotters and pantsers, we're putting judgment again, like pantsers are judgment. You're working by the seat of your pants. Well, God help you because you might not make it. And if you do, then it was probably luck, right? How about we think of ourselves as, you know, we find words. So in, in my, in, we find words that make sense for us in the mastermind so many of the authors have just come to talk of their process as gardening they're gardeners and their stories are gardens so they till the soil they throw out the manure they put manure on it they do all like they have this image of a process that works for them i think of myself as a discovery writer because i literally discover the story as i go along and that makes me feel more positive about the process um, i feel like i might need to change my words i tend to call my process chaos <laughs> yeah. but I like it because it but is no, kind it of could, chaotic <laughs> and, no but and I can see well not I can see I that's what I like your personality would suggest that chaos you thrive in chaos I right? thrive like, in chaos I love so chaos. it's like works. a chaotic puzzle that's I always talk about the puzzle like and that is definitely how I feel books are for me personally yeah. it's like you know like It'd be like, where's Wally as a puzzle, right? Right. <laughs> or where's right, Waldo? Right. Where's Waldo? Where's Waldo? Where the, where's Waldo? Your side of the yeah. yeah, where's Waldo? Yeah. That's what it would be like, that kind yeah. of... Like, but, see, but that works for you because you know you're going to find Waldo, right? Yeah, for every me, time. <laughs> right. And, and for me, discovery works and for others, garden works. But when we think about plotters and pantsers, like there's, a, it's like... You know, plotters, there are expectations put on plotters. You're going to have a 10-page outline. You're going to have all these things. Well, what if you don't? What if you spend two months working on this fabulous 50-page plot outline, and then you start writing, and you're like, oh, that really isn't the way it's going to go. Then you're going to feel bad. And like, okay, just if, if you have to outline, that's fabulous. Outline. And then when you, you know, move off of your plan, accept that that was part of the process and that you know, you're whatever it is, whatever your metaphor is, you're a gardener and those are the weeds and you throw out the weeds and you plant a different garden because the soil is different, whatever. Like, I don't know. I love it. And I think that that should be a task that we set everybody listening yeah. is to come up with their metaphor. And I want you to put it in the comments, put it in the show notes, tag me on Instagram, whatever, or tag Donna on Instagram, whatever. Um, but tell us, what your metaphor is to describe your writing process. Cause I think that is fucking genius. I love Yay. it. Yay. Um, okay. Any other kind of general tips or tricks to, to help writers okay. get through their first draft? I'm going to go, I'm just going to go right back to this language thing. And like you talking about chaos 
and it's like the, the whole premise for me writing the book Scrappy Rough Draft was around the language of what we call our books. So the trick I would I would want to say is um, it's an exercise. Actually, it's funny that you say, you know, that you're setting an exercise, figure out a name that you're going to call your first draft that you love that totally resonates with you. Right. Like maybe yours, Sasha, are chaotic first drafts. And that works for you because you know, out of the chaos comes, you know, something beautiful and never before seen, right? Oh like, my God, stop, 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 stop. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. In my first series, the whole, <laughs> I literally, I'm going to, oh my God. <sighs> the whole, like, I can't even talk. I'm literally, my brain just exploded. Okay. <sighs> In my first series, the whole book is based on the concept of balance and chaos. Oh. And the tagline is, from chaos comes balance. I shit you there not. There you go. Like, okay. Oh my yay. God. Okay. So, yay. <laughs> Just mind blown. Yay. So the other, everyone else, like, find that thing. For me, Scrappy Rough Draft is what I call my books, um, and because I think so scrappy for me, I don't know if you know that well, Scooby-Doo cartoon. So if you're as old as I am, Scooby-Doo was a part of my growing up and my kids growing up and Scrappy-Doo was the little, the little puppy. And he was like, I'm going to get him. Right. He backed that little puppy into a corner and he comes out fighting and, you know, let me at him is what he says. And when I think of my first drafts, I think of them as scrappy because they come out fighting. You can back it into a corner and I'm going to fight and get it out of that corner. Um, that works for me. Magic, like in my, in our, in a, in a course I taught, people would refer like a fantasy author referred to hers as a magical first draft and that felt good to her. And so find that, find those words and think of your first draft. Every time you think of your first draft, refer to it that way, refer to it as your magical first draft. When you're talking about it to other people, so that you start to like really feel that and your voice will be in there. The tone of your book could be in there. Maybe it's a character, like it'll just make it real to you and it'll make it um, happy, not shitty. I literally can't tell you how much I fucking love this. Yay. It is the chaos draft, like draft it is. It's, it's the chaos draft. I, I, I think that might have been one of the biggest epiphanies I've ever had on a show. So oh thank you. <laughs> Yay. Um, yeah. Wow. Um, I just, I, I'm not even sure where to go from here because. <laughs> I love that. Mm. So do you write your nonfiction in the same way? I do. So I write not in order. Um, I basically, I, I have an idea. So with Scrappy Rough Draft, I, I love science. I love nonfiction books. Um, I love, um, I love your books. I love, <laughs> I love like Mary Roach, like these authors and um, what is his name? JJ, um, oh gosh, he wrote um, My Year of Living Religiously or anyway, I, I can't think of his name right now, which is embarrassing. Uh, these authors who really have, have voice. And so when I'm writing my nonfiction, I write an, an outline, which is just kind of chapter titles on the topics that I want to cover. And then I start researching and I will spend probably 75% of my time researching and 25% writing. And I will write here and there and I'll get pulled all around because um, I'm a discovery writer. It's just how I am, right? So it's kind of funny, like with, with the romance, I'm getting to know my characters. I think with my nonfiction, I'm getting to know myself and where my interests get, where I get really excited and where I can be helpful. I'm a, I, I haven't done the Clifton Strengths, but I have done it. You have tests. to go do the Clifton Strengths. I know, strengths. I have to do them. <laughs> I am certain that I don't know what the, the strength would be, but like being helpful is just, that is my, that is a dominant feature for me there's another one that I've that I have done and that's that's kind of top of the list is just how can I be helpful and how can I be me being helpful so if you ever do it please email me and let me oh, really? <laughs> I have to I, honestly I, I do I don't know a successful author who hasn't done 
the Clifton Strikes. Did oh, you really? do it with Becca? Yeah. Was, no, yeah. no. So oh. this was the interesting thing. I, I did. So my background is in psychology. And mm. um, so I had spent a lot of time with the Myers-Briggs because that is yeah. for some reason more accepted. Well, I mean, she was a psychologist. So um, and then I don't know how I heard about Clifton Strengths, but I, I I heard about it and I did the the test and then paid no mind to it at all right and then it wasn't until I heard Becca talking about it maybe again or I don't quite remember but then I fell into the Clifton Strengths because of Becca so yeah it was it was Becca that really brought me into the um cult but yeah I am <laughs> deeply 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 obsessed so um yeah so like it has changed my life for the better that's so funny. Yeah, everyone I know. I'm, I'm just looking through my notebook to see if I can find the name of the one that I did. But anyway, uh, yeah, I kind of feel like it's a cult that I, you know, I'm getting FOMO. I get it because <laughs> yeah, honestly... come to the dark side. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. Well, this is the Rebel Author Podcast. Mm-hmm. So, will you tell everyone about a time you unleashed your inner rebel? You know, this is the thing that kept me up last night because I knew, because I've listened to your podcast. I'm like, shit, she's going to ask me. And I'm a boring 56-year-old woman who doesn't do anything exciting and hasn't left my house in two years since COVID. You told me you were a punk. I what? And this is the thing. So I got up to pee in the middle of the night and I'm like, oh God, I'm going to be so tired because I'm so old. And then I thought, that's, that was, so my active rebellion, which I, I referred to earlier, was when it was it was accepting that at age 50 I am me and you can take me or leave me and I don't care right I have so and when I embraced myself as me which I was able to do because I got out of the relationship with a husband who didn't want me to be me um I my friends changed I am now friends with authors almost exclusively with authors which is so freaking amazing right like they get me I can be myself with authors I can be vulnerable and I can be smart and I can both at the same time I can be loud I can be I can just be me um so my act of rebellion was accepting myself and then going and finding a community to work with who you know just get me and I get them what I want to do you mentioned one of us mentioned the word cult my dream is to find like create an intentional community like find a piece of land somewhere and just have a whole bunch of authors live together (laughs) female authors we'll have a man on site who's really handsome who can do all the handiwork that I don't feel like doing but you know we'll (laughs) just everyone will get their own little house and I don't know if that, that I guess that's rebellious I want to have a tiny little house on a big piece of property with a whole bunch of other women writers who have little houses and we come together and we eat dinner together and then we go back to our own little houses and I, 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 I guess I'm rambling on I love that no I think that is amazing I that isn't that isn't just a rebellion it sounds like a plan to me like it sounds yeah. like a plan that needs executing it's a plan that needs executing it absolutely <laughs> yeah. does it absolutely does yes yeah. oh well thank you so much what can we expect from you next in terms of nonfiction? In terms of nonfiction, I am currently working on a book. I don't know the title of it yet, but it's part of the Creative Academy Guides for Writers. Um, and it's going to be about, there's, there's two sides to it. I'm not sure, like there's the how to, um, what's the word? Um, when you lift up, when you, how to use, but there's a better word for it. Empower. Uh, empower, yes, empower and oh my God, take advantage of your community. So how to build a community that of readers and such and so on and people who will become your fans um, to get them, you know, talking about you. And then um, also we like, we don't necessarily use or know how to use the tools that we have available to us to promote our books. So there's another, another these are gonna be smaller guides, smaller than the other ones that I've written um, and co-authored around um, how to use Goodreads to be really smart and bookbub and library thing and uh, you know writing your bio so that it's really engaging and it you know draws people in and and does your some of your promotional work for you so 
yeah, those are those are the topics that I'm actually currently writing. And I have a deadline of April 30th to get a draft to my partners. So yeah. it's funny. I'm also actually I probably shouldn't admit this, but I'm trying to get uh, a book done by the end of this month as well. It's going to be tight. <laughs> I don't yeah, know if I know. Tight. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay, well, tell everyone where they can find out more about you, your books and anything else that you would like to add. All right. Well, the first place to go, I think the most important is as writers, I would love for you to go to creativeacademyforwriters.com, which is the online community that I co-founded with two other authors and we brought in a fourth partner. And it's pay what you can. So if you can't pay anything, you can join. It's an online community and there you will find the people who get you. So if you don't have, you know, a spouse or a whatever in your house, there you will find them. It's international. We have people from most places in the world, a lot in Europe, lots in North America. Um, yeah. So come and join, check it out. Danica Bloom with a K.com. Danica Bloom. That's where you'll find my romance. Um, and, um, and if you want to read, this was this is my very brave writing. If you want to read my first person articles about that kind of got me moving towards writing romance, uh, medium.com. I published uh, about 150 articles on medium.com, mostly about sex and relationships a few years ago. And uh, you can find me like medium.com slash at Danica Bloom. And uh, yeah, you can find out why I told my husband to have an affair and I don't know about my kids vasectomy all kinds of very personal things that amazing I, yeah. I have this has been actually amazing I have I'm loved so talking to you oh, and just thank you so much because this has you, been such Sasha. a blast it's been and for me honestly I am delighted delighted I love like if, if Folks have not read your book on sidekicks. Like it is freaking amazing. I just, <laughs> I, I want to be, I want to have like I, your voice is your voice. I will never have your voice, but I just want to have so much confidence in my voice that you have in your voice in that book. It's Oh, thank ass. you. I'm yeah. all kinds of flushing now. Oh, it's <laughs> anyway. I'm like feeling quite hot. <laughs> 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 oh, well, as I say, thank you so much. Thank you. And, and of course, a giant thank you to all of the show's listeners and all of the show's patrons. If you would like to get early access to all of the episodes, then you can do so by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. I'm Sasha Black. You are listening to Donna Barker. And this was the Rebel Author Podcast. Next week, I'm going to be joined by Iona Wayland, and we are talking all about writing trauma. We're talking about mental health and prose and writing. And um, there's a bit of science in there as well. And it is a deeply fascinating and insightful conversation about what it means to write about trauma and mental health effectively. And yeah like with respect and all of that stuff she's also a sensitivity reader so we do talk a little bit about that as well and oh my goodness i just love her i think she is amazing and i cannot wait to share the episode with you don't forget to tune in and subscribe on your podcatcher and when you have a moment please leave a review 